Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast series on impact, talking with entrepreneurs and organizational leaders who contribute to building a more cooperative and positive future. I'm Ursula York, the host of this series. I'm a mentor to business people who want to have a positive effect on the world around them, building strong businesses by creating value for their clients, team members, and the larger world. I am so passionate about sharing with you the stories of entrepreneurs and leaders who have impact. They're inspiring and energizing role models. And I hope what you use, that you can use what you learn here today to be inspired about what you can do in your business and beyond. Today's guest in this podcast series on impact is Michelle Gillan. Michelle is a national CBS news anchor turned positive psychology researcher. She's the best-selling author of Broadcasting Happiness, The Science of Igniting and Sustaining Positive Change. Michelle is the founder of the Institute for Applied Positive Research and has partnered with Arianna Huffington to study how transformative stories fuel success. She's an executive producer of The Happiness Advantage special on PBS and a featured professor in Oprah's Happiness Course. Michelle holds a Master of Applied Positive Psychology degree from the University of Pennsylvania, and her research and advice have received attention from the New York Times, Washington Post, Forbes, CNN, Fox, and Harvard Business Review. So welcome, Michelle. I'm so delighted that you could be here on the podcast. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here with you. <laughs> um, so you've had a really interesting career path from broadcasting to this area of happiness research. What, what drew you through that path of work and, and to focus in this field of happiness right now? Well, I was so thrilled when I was uh, received that news that I was going to be a national CBS news anchor. I anchored two programs there. Uh, but basically, I got tired of telling negative news stories. Uh, moreover, what I wanted to understand was how can we deliver news, both on the news and around the dinner table, in our businesses, to our teams, in a way that empowers people and helps inspire them to move them forward in a positive direction. So I left CBS News. My friends thought I was crazy. <laughs> and I went back to get a master's in positive psychology, studying at the University of Pennsylvania. While there, I had this epiphany, though, which was, we're all broadcasters. All of us are mm -hmm. constantly broadcasting information to other people as parents, as teachers, as leaders, as friends. We're constantly sharing messages by what we choose to talk about with other people. And those messages have incredible influence, not only on how we and they experience their world, but also on every single business and educational outcome that now as a researcher, I'm able to track. Mm. Wow. That's powerful. And I, I hear what you're saying about the telling of negative news stories. It seems to be the, the focus of mainstream news. So it's great that you've shifted into this realm of telling positive stories. And that's part of what you talk about in your book. Yeah, well, so I've been so blessed to be a partner now with Ariana Huffington, who put out a call to start something called What's Working, which is looking at all the news around the world of businesses, schools, individuals, where who are experiencing circumstances of things working, working through hard work and perseverance and resilience, but they've been able to achieve great successes, have been able to fix business problems. And so the focus in this section on the Huffington Post is how they're doing it. 
Um, we're doing research right now. We found that just three minutes of, of news, negative news, first thing in the morning can lead to a 27% higher likelihood of reporting your day as unhappy wow. six to eight hours later. Wow. So what's remarkable about that is we knew that there was an immediate mood shift. You watch a negative news story, people feel deflated, agitated, depressed, angry. But now what we're seeing is that that mood and mindset shift stays with us through the course of our business days and our time with our families. And why I think ultimately that becomes so significant is that negative news right now is feeding us this lie that our behavior doesn't matter. Mm. If we're constantly serving up problems and we're not talking about solutions, whether we do this on the news or in our businesses, then it can lead us to feeling helpless and hopeless and believing that all things are outside of our control. When we as business leaders and entrepreneurs decide to see the, the elements of our, our existence that are not within our control, but also see this other side of the story, which is the things that we can do to apply our behavior and overcome challenges, that is when we truly achieve incredible successes. Mm. That's great. I love hearing that. And, and it's very much the focus of this podcast series is to give people an opportunity to talk about the ways in which things are working and the impact that they can have. Because uh, I think we sometimes feel that there's, as you said, that we're, we're not able to have a real effect on the world around us when in fact, there's an impact related to everything that we choose to do and how we choose to show up. So uh, you've certainly found that in your research around, around uh, the broadcasting of negative news. So that's, that's great to hear. Yeah, and, and on the flip side now, what we're seeing in businesses is that uh, when uh, you know, leaders and employees alike start to broadcast a new story and start to talk about uh, business, whether it's business challenges or business successes in a, a new and different way, uh, that we actually see it fuels business and educational outcomes like uh, raising productivity or productive energy by 31%, mm. uh, chances of promotion over the next year by 40%, wow. sales by 37%. These are numbers that we've all been, a that we've been able to see at uh, you know, corporations, uh, Fortune 500 companies and schools that we've worked with. And knowing that simply by changing what you say, which is free, right, um, can, uh, how that can influence other people around you. I mean, that simple initiative uh, it proves to be uh, extremely effective. Well, one of the things you talk about in your book is creating contagious optimism and that being a role of a leader in an organization. Yeah, so we all often hear about research around how uh, entrepreneurs are exceptionally optimistic as a whole, mm -hmm. right? They're, they uh, and optimism is this expectation of good things to happen. This belief that our behavior matters in the face of challenge, uh, n n devoting more of our mental resources to the good side of life, the successes, the wins, the, the things that fuel us, as opposed to the stresses, hassles, and complaints. We never want to stick our heads in the sand. I never advocate ignoring bad news or ignoring the realities of a product launch. But if if we're talking to our company about only uh, the, the stresses and challenges of that product launch, and at, at no time do we talk about the pre-orders that have come in or um, you know the wins that individual business teams are having. Um, that can decimate employee engagement and shareholder confidence. Mm. It's when the more we can focus on the 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 positive fueling side of um, of work, you know, praising our employees, uh, looking at the 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 
you know, concrete things that they can tap into to be more successful, the more a leader is able to create that sense of contagious optimism in their organization. Hmm, that's great. And is that something that you incorporate in your own business? Is that part of what you think makes it unique? Um, yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we're a, a small band of folks here, but um, we have uh, amazing partners and we always look for you know whether it's um, people that are working with us or or partners or partner companies to have that optimistic spirit um, because that dictates so much of the I I believe of of the successes and then we see it in our clients we worked with Nationwide Brokerage Services and this was incredible and um, they so the president over there is a numbers guy and so he <laughs> not surprising <laughs> yeah so when we started talking about happiness research he kind of looked at us like okay uh and then we said no no you're a numbers guy let's talk about the numbers and we went through all the recent studies that have been done either by us or by uh, academics from top institutions like harvard stanford yale and the like and you know we said look when you create a more positive culture at work. I mean, intuitively, we know it feels good, right? Mm -hmm. But let's show you how it influences productivity, engagement, profitability, et cetera. So he was convinced to at least try out some of the strategies we suggested. And um, and they start they just very quickly started to see it was working and they got more enthusiastic about it. And it wasn't just him, but, you know, his all the employees at the at the office started coming up with ideas and really creating this pervasive approach around broadcasting a more positive mindset. Um, my favorite of their initiatives was they had a huddle first thing in the morning where they would not only sell, so this was as uh, individual sales teams, right? And they would not only celebrate successes that people might not have heard about from the past 24 hours, but they also... Um, asked if anyone needed any additional support that day and mm. someone could speak up and everyone could rally around them, which I thought was so incredible. Um, so what was that? And what was even more remarkable was that with within just a couple years, they were able to raise gross revenues from $350 million to more than a billion dollars. Wow. Yeah. And, and it's a huge just, increase. Huge increase. It shows us how uh, instrumental creating that positive corporate culture can be. That's some. That's awesome. I love hearing that story of the huddle. I I worked with a nonprofit in South Africa, and every morning, they meet in a circle and they sing, and it's followed by a similar process. I mean, the singing in itself is amazing. They all seem to have incredible voices, <laughs> and the and the nonprofit. It's a an educational uh, nonprofit, so they're they're not in the singing business. But um, they then go into well. Here's what I'm doing today, and here's where I can use support. Same sort of idea. So I love hearing that that's being implemented in North America because it's a very African thing to do and in, in their culture, and it's it's wonderful to see those positive. Uh, principles being applied here as well. That's great. And we see over and over in the research that how we start our day can dramatically influence the trajectory of it. Um, there's a large amounts of research on priming, which is, you know, you prime somebody with a thought, you prime somebody by a, a concept or discussing something and then see the results um, just by simply inserting, for instance, the word together into mm instructions for a, a team as they're about to embark on a new project that can they there was a study done at Stanford that found that the the group that was exposed to the instructions with that word together they actually worked 48% longer they feel, felt higher levels of energy when the project was all said and done and uh, and they just and they had better results 
Um, so how we how we start off things really does make a difference. And by starting off our business day with a huddle, feeling supported, having that deeper sense of connectedness with the other people and celebrating successes, that can make all the difference as we approach business challenges throughout the rest of the day. That's amazing. It's it's seems like common sense, but we so often forget that even small things that you can do on a consistent basis can have such a big impact. It's, that's fantastic. It's great to hear the research is supporting that. Yeah. <laughs> so in in uh, this work that you've been doing, I know you're part of the the subtitle of your book is about the science of happiness. Has has this work that you've done in uh, on the scientific aspects has that influenced your your values at all has it shifted or do you feel like your values have been something that have been consistent for you throughout your work the, the reason i'm asking is that i think that impact and that kind of conscious uh, positive influence that we can all have is often really informed by our values so curious to hear how that has whether you feel that's been part of your own journey with that. I think without a doubt, my values guided my journey through, um, you know, from, I think even down to what I studied in college to, you know, leaving CBS and, and even the stories that I tried telling while I was at the news organizations I was with, uh, always trying to be helpful in the information I was spreading. Um, what I now see, I think the major difference that I'm experiencing now knowing this happiness research um, versus before is that I know more quickly when I'm not living it as I could be doing. Mm. Um, so, you know, my husband's a happiness researcher as well. Uh, his name is Sean Acor. And it's, um, you know, there's always like, oh, you guys must have the happiest baby on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> Which, no pressure there, right? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> um, and so, you know, people are very curious about, well, how do, how do you guys fight and how is it around your house when no one is listening? And and the reality is that we, you know, we have the same struggles as as most couples. I mean, I, I consider our marriage a very good one, but we, we work at it. And um, but I think that what we're getting really good at now, having practiced so much is identifying more quickly those moments when we're not really living it. So having um, unproductive thoughts or expressing repeated, you know, negativity or complaining when we could talk, be talking about solutions. Mm. Uh, and, and so you just kind of gently catch one another and kind of guide them back to where they should be. <laughs> well, and that kind of intentional consciousness, it's so much, uh, well, it's, it's very positive and certainly increases your happiness level, I think, but also um, it's just an amazing way to live and it, it translates into the impact that we're talking about as well. So... Um, yeah, and, and because I think, you know, these days, as I'm sure everyone's experienced, your your home life and your work life are not separate things. They are so intertwined. Um, it takes, if, if something's gone wrong in one domain, it, t it takes me time to readjust as I go into the other one. Um, and they're, so they're not separate. So the happier that we we can be at work, at home, the happier we are at the other, and the more that fuels our overall success. And when our brain's in a positive state, we see that it actually transforms the chemical structure of our brain. Um, dopamine is released, and that turns on all the cognitive and learning centers. 
Um, so the more that we can be in that positive, resilient, optimistic mindset, that just the higher levels of, of success and happiness we feel all around. Mm, that's great. Well, I know there's uh, probably a lot of laughter in your household, too. I know Sean's got a great sense of humor, and yeah. I, I'm getting the sense that you do as well. So <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I will never forget the Amy the Unicorn stories, I think, as, as long as I live. So <laughs> <laughs> She is a celebrity. It's amazing. <laughs> celebrity by proxy. <laughs> so what are some of the important ways that you feel you do have impact on, on your readers and the clients that you work with? Um, what I've become incredibly energized by is, since the release of the book, which was a handful of months ago, uh, seeing how people either ha put, it, put the research into practice now based upon some of the ideas presented in the book or have this realization that they've already been living the research for so long and now this is the scientific justification for why the life that they're striving for and the approach to it is actually scientifically correct. Um, and that, that to me is so exciting. Uh, you know, I receive people's stories. They, they send them to us via our website. They're amazing. This one guy wrote in to us to tell us, you know, um, I started to do the gratitudes exercise, which we advocate, you know, list three new and unique things you're grateful for mm -hmm. um, each day for a period of 21 days. He said, I, saw, I started to do it with my family. Um, my, you know, five-year-old thought it was cute. My 13-year-old rolled her eyes. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the typical reaction. Um, and so he kind of had to do it solo for a little bit. And then they sort of got into the practice slowly and surely. Um the thing is, though, then uh, about two weeks later, he gets a call from another parent. He, his daughter had just been, the older one, had just been at a sleepover. And he says, um, and the, the other parent says, I I've got to talk to you about your daughter. And he says, oh, no, what did she do now? Mm -hmm. He said, well, actually, um, your daughter was at our house, got all the girls around in a circle to sit together and said, people have been being you know, mean at school, so why don't we go around the the circle and say one thing that we are grateful for about each person. Wow. Yeah, it was just tremendous. So I think we underestimate the influence that we as, as, as parents, as, as business leaders, as colleagues and friends can have on other people just by changing what we talk about and how we show up. If we're focused on the good part of life, I mean, our brain literally latches onto that as opposed to latching onto the potential threats and problems that we could experience. Mm. I love that story. I mean, you can tell that you're making an impact when your teenagers are even adopting what you're what you're recommending. That and that is is such a courageous thing for that teenager to have done for her to say that to her friends and shift the energy that the negative energy into something more positive. I mean, good for her. That's amazing. Yeah. And what's remarkable, I totally agree with you, because what that teenager was doing was she was stepping out of the typical social script. Right. What we see at our offices and our schools is that the social scripts often get written by one or two people, right? You walk into a party and you, if you're either standing against the wall as a wallflower or maybe you're coming in and shaking people's hands and saying hi, that person is writing that social script. The kids at that girl's school who are being mean were at that moment writing that script, and she took the opportunity to rewrite it at the sleepover. Um, what we find in, in the research is not, you know, I often get asked at companies, is it the most negative or positive person 
that's more powerful, you know, because th- this is a, typically a positive person that's thinking about the negative person at right. the office who's right. really annoying and dragging everyone down. And um, when it comes to setting corporate culture, it's not the most negative or positive person. It's the most expressive person. Mm. It's that battle. And think about it. Whenever we've been, you know, whenever I've sat around in a meeting and someone is being incredibly negative, sometimes they're not even saying it. It's just their nonverbals, you know, their facial expression, their body language. You can tell that they are not on board with this new project or idea. That influences other people, brings everyone else down. And and sometimes people, you know, they get worried. They don't want to share their their thoughts, their ideas. And it's it's a dampener for creativity. Um, Marcia Lasada, a researcher who looks at high-performance business teams, could actually see a ratio in the boardroom of positive comments to negative comments. And then he mapped that to per how well these teams were performing. The high performing business teams had a ratio of six to one positive comments to negative comments. Wow. Mid performers were two to one and low performers were one to one. Hmm. The more positivity we can get, the more it opens the door for that optimism and, uh, and, and creativity to flourish. Yeah, I was thinking as you were talking about the impact on a business culture of the very expressive person, which is often the entrepreneur, because entrepreneurs tend to be kind of more more expressive, although that's certainly not a, a given, but just whoever is more willing to step up and uh, contribute to that kind of positive environment can really have a huge impact on the company's performance from the research you found. Yeah, without a doubt. We had a, a study that was done with a manager who just started praising one person on the team once per day. So someone new and different each day and just delivered that one piece of praise e- each day mm-hmm. for a period of three weeks. And at the end of three weeks, raised the entire team's productivity by 31%. Yeah, that's extraordinary. I, I know Sean had talked about that at a talk I heard him give, and uh, it just it kind of blew everyone away. It's it's remarkable how we how much one person can really influence, uh, especially a leader, can influence things. Is Do you feel like your work has an impact that kind of ripples out into the larger world or has has an impact directly in the larger world? Sometimes we can think of ourselves in a bit of a silo situation and you're bringing it into your, uh, your, your values and your approach into your home life and into your work, obviously. But do you feel like it has a bigger impact even than that? Um, well, I, I mean, I, I hope it does. Um, what we, what's really exciting lately has been we've, uh, been producing segments for the Huffington Post new show, talking about a lot of this research, getting it more into um, into the mainstream, uh, and you know, and I think it's it's really about people feeling a connected, uh, feeling connected to this material, and then making it part of their own lives, and then sharing those stories with with people in their lives as well. So. Um, I've seen a positive ripple effect. And to me, that's tremendous, because I don't look at this as, you know, I really look at this as I'm a vehicle to share this research, do do some of it, and then share all of it um, in a way that I hope empowers people to live their best life. Mm, That's great. Has this, um, I mean, your work has kind of evolved from news reporting into this whole realm of happiness research. Has your desire to have impact evolved as well over time? Or have you always been someone who's wanted to uh, really be a positive influence? 
I think it has evolved over time. My original degree in, in for undergrad was in computer engineering. Ah. I was very fascinated with writing code and, you know, architecting systems. And I loved the front end of websites. This was back in, you know, 2000 when there was the internet boom and all these new websites. So I like the user, user experience. Um, but it wasn't, uh, you know, I feel like my focus now is, is different. Um, I think it's more about relationships and psychology and understanding our influence um, and I think that that's a, just a, a result of having more experiences and a varied set of experiences. I have a son now. I'm in, uh, you know, I'm married. I'm, I, you know, I have, I, I've moved so many places and met so many people. And I think that that has informed my decision and in, in what, what's best, uh, how I can best serve the world. Mm, that's great. Is this something that you talk about overtly in the marketing that you do for your business it's good think inc is that right the, that's the right business yeah. mm -hmm. is that something that you have conversations with clients about what it is that you're trying to achieve both personally and with your organization does that tie in with how you talk about it to your clients um, I think to some degree, but I think the majority of it is, um, at least at the onset, is finding out what their goals are, what they're hoping to accomplish at their organization, and then how we can enable them to do that even better and deeper than they would have done before. Uh, and then, but you know, the thing, is, the reality is what we're finding is that by putting out these, the books we have and the videos and all that, it attracts a certain subset of people, I think like yourself, you know, who are interested in research and growth and impact and, you know, entrepreneurship. And so, so very quickly, the conversation gets to a place that's, you know, at a deeper level than just the mechanics of, you know, here's what we can do for you and the services we can provide. Right. Um, there's sort of, you know, how you always hear there, uh, you can have a job, a career or a calling. I think mm -hmm. very uh, the vast majority of the people that we end up working with these are people who view whatever job they're at as a calling and and using that as a vehicle to uh, improve the world around them. Wow, that's an amazing client group to have. I would I imagine. Know, it's great, self-selecting. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that's great. Well, I know one of the things you talk about in your book is leveraging past wins to fuel future success, and I love the wording of that. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? Because I, something that I work with clients uh, on quite a bit is this whole idea of pausing to celebrate. And uh, they're always a bit surprised when I make a big fuss about this in our, in our coaching work together. But um, I actually encourage a daily practice of celebrating because we're, we're so often in the position of, well, okay, that went well, great, done, next. And there's barely a pause before you move on to whatever the next thing is and, and not a lot of acknowledgement about uh, what successes have occurred. And the way that you talk about it in your book, it it's uh, obviously very key that you take that experience of success and leverage it in some way to, to help you move forward more quickly, more um and achieve more is would that be fair to say and, and could you yes. talk a bit about that without a doubt so uh, the by you consciously getting them to to be in the practice of um you know celebrating successes and wins i mean that that's that, that's the fuel for future success um what our brain is 
our brain's amazing. I love our brain. It's so interesting <laughs> to study. Um, we There's some research that shows that if you were in um, a serious car accident and, you know, were paralyzed or you won the lottery, that you would think that your levels of happiness would dramatically change, right? Mm-hmm. You're incapacitated, you're unhappy, miserable for the rest of your life. You won the lottery. Well, woohoo, yay. <laughs> um, what they find, though, is that while there is an initial you know, change in our levels of happiness, that if you go back and check with the person later on, maybe a year or two down the road, that their happiness actually returns very close to where the baseline was beforehand. Hmm. Uh, our brain adapts. Our brain gets used to the circumstances that we find ourselves in. What that means in relation to success and happiness is that if we don't consciously take a second to, and hopefully longer than a second, to celebrate the wins that we have experienced. Um, our brain just adapts to this new situation. Great, I got an A. Great, I, you know, achieved the sales goal. On to the next one, and the it then that short changes us of the fuel and, and the the you know communicating to our brain that our brain that we can achieve, and that be, that's a fuel for creating future successes. Um, so the more we can ad- adopt that practice by savoring. And go, revisiting and talking about all the good things going on, the better off we we are for the future for our success, but also the better our happiness levels are in the present moment. Something that occurs to me as you're saying this is, do you think that the from the research and, and from your own understanding of it, that our brains kind of reset to a higher level of happiness if we're celebrating consciously and consistently? As far as can we influence our, our the baseline we were born with? Yeah, yeah. So that's a really interesting question, a really good one. Uh, there, a number of researchers have looked at, you know, is it nature or nurture? Are mm. you born happy and or unhappy, and is that how you are destined to stay? And as any parent who has two kids sees, it's you know there there definitely is uh, you know there are some children that are born happier and some less happy. Uh, just from the get-go, before you have the chance to screw them up. <laughs> uh, but so uh, anyway, they looked at how much of is that genes and your your genetic disposition. How much of it is environment and households and parent parental upbringing, and then how much of it is the child and the choices that the child makes as they're growing up. And what the best guess now is is that um, genes. Re- account for 40% of our overall levels of happiness. And uh, 10% is external circumstances, how much money we make, where we live, what kind of car we drive. But the other big chunk, which is 50% of our overall long-term happiness, really depends on how we process the world. And that is incredibly malleable. Mm -hmm. If you have people who have practiced pessimism for decades, so these are people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, um, who are you know, a low to moderate level pessimist. And really, yeah. really good at it by that point, too. Yeah, really good <laughs> at it. <laughs> if you have them just do their gratitude exercise, three new and unique things are grateful for each day, and have that for a period of six months, at the end of that six-month period, many of them will test on average as low to moderate level optimists. Mm, wow. And that's a really hopeful picture. That means yeah. no matter 
wherever you're at, we can make positive changes. And so you didn't have to be born a happy baby to become one. <laughs> well, I love hearing that. I thought this whole realm of neuroplasticity and being able to rewire the brain, quote unquote, is uh, it's it's a powerful thing to consider because I think people used to look at, well, this is the way I am and it's never it never shifts, it never alters and you have no control over it. So it's powerful to hear that that research in the the um in that whole area of leveraging past wins uh you talk about selecting the package and could you talk a little bit about that because i think it's an important aspect in addition to highlighting the wins we have uh one of the things you you talk about as being important is selecting the package yeah so it's this concept that i pulled from media um so that the highlighting the wins is understanding for your audience who you're talking to, who you're trying to help move the needle with, uh, what wins would motivate them um, as you you know talk with them and try to to fuel that motivation. Uh, you know, there was a great uh, a school district out in Washington State that I worked with. They had a 44% graduation rate. And when the superintendent started, he said, this is not going to stand. We got to do something about this. They decided to highlight all the successes and wins that were currently happening at the school, a lot of which no one was talking about. And then also they charted out an academic plan that was going to help them raise that graduation rate. Within seven years, the school district was able to raise it to 89%. And I just checked in with them last year and it went up to 92%. Wow, that's awesome. So it's amazing. And so when when you talk about packaging the wins, what that means is – when you're going to talk about a success, so at that school it was talking about children who have been uh, able to achieve A's, who have gone from D's to an A in math, uh, or uh, you know, kids who have, have problems at home with their families, but they're able to show up and concentrate at school. Um, what's the best way to deliver that information to the students in a way that fuels them? Typically, if an administrator is sharing that story, it's not going to be as moving as if you have another student get up in front of assembly and say, hey, and this is a true story in that school district, this kid got up and he said, listen, I was, um, I was you know, working really hard at school. He, he was a very good student and his parents were not making enough money to make ends meet. So he decided to take a graveyard shift job to help support the family and then was exhausted and made a poor decision, which was to sell drugs. He didn't mm-hmm. take any. He just was trying to sell them to help the family. Um, got caught. And then he decided to redo his life. He knew that he was kind of at a, a pivot point. What ended up happening was not only did he graduate near the top of his class, but he was able to get a Gates Millennium Scholarship to pay for all advanced education. Wow. Yeah, so share him sharing that story is that having packaging that story in that way mm-hmm. is um, was much more influential on the student body than if an administrator were to get up and say the same thing. Right. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I read that story in your book, and that is so moving and heartwarming to hear of kids being able to make changes like that so early in life because it it affects them their whole lives. It's a really incredibly powerful thing to be involved with. So I'm, uh, yeah, I really, uh, I appreciate what you do in that realm as, as in all the others, but especially in that. It's great. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. The, um, well, the, I mean, the kids are amazing and, and you just see them as 
they, I mean, they're just natural at this oftentimes. They, you know, but we do influence, uh, we are influenced by our parents. So the more the parents are showing up and, and talking, uh, you know, highlighting, oh, you put a lot of effort into this project and that's why you're successful as opposed to just celebrating the A, um, you know, mm-hmm. th- that, that teaches the kids to see, oh, my behavior matters in this realm and I can put more effort into this and actually make an, an influence. Yeah, that's great. So in in the impact that you yourself have, I mean, we all have obstacles or barriers that we come across in our businesses, our lives. And are there ways in which you've come across an obstacle in making the impact that you want to have that that you've been able to move through? And would you be willing to talk a little bit about that? Uh, I think that there is always a percentage of any room that I speak to at companies around the world that these are people who they seem not to buy into the research and they um, they just don't kind of want to talk about it, <laughs> which is obviously challenging. I mean, I think any entrepreneur deals with the same thing with right with communicating ideas or convincing other people of, of how, you know, how good they are and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I'm coming to find is that it's much more powerful to just focus on the people that are either right there with you or you have a chance of getting them on board mm-hmm. and let go of those other people. Um, and how this relates, I think, to businesses in general is that, you know, oftentimes I get asked about, well, I, you know, how do I convince a negative person to be more positive? How can I transform their mindset so that they're not just tearing apart our office with their negative comments? And, um, and what I find is that so we did a, a study with Training Magazine, and we found that 31% of people are optimistic. This is at any given organization. Mm-hmm. 31% of people are optimistic, but not expressive of that mindset. Mm. Um, and so if we can recognize that there are one in three people sitting around us that are already positive, we don't have to do anything to change their mindset. We just need to get them to speak up. Um, that, that's actually a really freeing, empowering thought. Um, and it lessens the power of the negative person. Mm-hmm. And I think the best way to get other people to be more expressive is to do so ourselves, again, back to setting that positive social script. Um, and so, and and also the other thing I, I really love is this idea of asking leading questions, how you can ask a question that leads someone not to a specific answer, but leads them to positive territory. Um, so if our son comes home from school talking about a bully, ask him questions that will help him remember how many friends he has. Uh, if we're in a in a business setting and someone is stressed out about a project, you can ask them uh, questions that help them think of all the resources and wins they've had. Uh, you know, all the 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 exact number of hours that they have to contribute to this project before the deadline. Those they those pieces of information can shift their focus and get them into a more positive mindset, ready to tackle that challenge. Yeah, I like what you said about asking leading questions, because there's been so much research done recently around introverts versus extroverts. And it's, it's naturally easy for extroverts to be more expressive, whereas introverts are, can be challenged by that in certain settings. And so this idea of, of leading questions being something that people can actively do to encourage the optimists who aren't speaking up to express that and, and be part of the conversation. Yes, absolutely. And, and we 
through, you know, just experiences with these people, um, we know who the introverts are. And so sometimes creating that safe space and that good environment for them to speak up um, can be great at, uh, at tipping that culture from a, a negative place to a positive place. Yeah, it's great to hear that individually people can have uh, an effect on that and, and have something specific they can do and offer in that scenario. That's great. Are there, are there insights or advice that you would offer, Michelle, for other business owners who want to have impact in the work that they're doing? How, how can they positively affect their environment and even the larger world? Do you have anything to offer them in the, in the way of advice? Yeah, I would say um, two things. Uh, first of all, check your broadcast. What are you broadcasting to other people? Uh, and the the best way to boost your positive signal and um, you know and make your broadcast work for you is to start with something I call the power lead. The power lead is where we start conversations, emails, meetings, phone calls by saying something positive and meaningful. The power lead was taken from my days in media. Normally with the newscast, you they follow the old adage, if it bleeds, it leads. With right. this, we want to take the absolute opposite approach. <laughs> uh, so if we can start off conversations, for instance, by saying something positive and meaningful, so we skip, oh, I'm stressed. Oh, my commute today was terrible. And instead, we say something like, I had breakfast with my son this morning and he was being so cute. Those small sentences can give people not only a window into our world, but they also set the tone of the conversation to positive. People are uh, socialized to reciprocate and match mood. So mm-hmm. most likely they will offer up something positive as well. If we start with the negative, then there's only two responses people can typically have. Either they uh, have compassion for you. Oh, I'm so sorry you're stressed. Or they start playing misery poker with you. Right. Your commute was hard. <laughs> right. <laughs> I walked five miles to work in the snow. Uphill both ways. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and so I think anytime we can uh, use the power lead, it's, you know, and, and it can be with conversations with e- emails are the equivalent of brain damage. I mean, you're, you're just communicating information, but with all the content, none of the context. I'm so glad that you added that piece about it being positive and meaningful. Um okay introducing that aspect into it because we can be sometimes positive and it's not always clear what the meaning is behind it. It just adds to the richness of it and the the experience of it for the other person when you can share the meaning as well. Yeah. Meaning is what creates social connection and social connection is the greatest predictor of long-term levels of happiness we have in the research. Mm -hmm. Um, The more connection uh, we can build with the people around us in the good times uh, the the more we have to draw upon it when challenges strike. So I, I, the power lead is the quickest and easiest way. And the other one that I think is really powerful is before you read any of the emails in your inbox, just write a two-minute email each morning praising or thanking someone new in your social support network. Um, just two lines saying why they've been meaningful to you, thanking them for something recent that they did, or praising them for something great they've done. Just those that simple note can do a number of things. First of all, it meaningfully activates your social support network and it tells people um, that they that they matter to you. And it also communicates to your brain how robust your social support is. Uh, that alone will change 
how you view the rest of your day because you feel so supported by the people around you. That's great. It's a powerful way to start the day. Um, I, I want to thank you, Michelle, for sharing all these really practical things that people can do to, do to boost their happiness and contribute to happiness in the environment around them. It's so thought-provoking and, uh, and empowering as well to hear about um, the research supporting what has often seemed like common sense ideas, but really highlighting it through the work that you've done. So thank you so much for sharing all of that here today. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for having me and for doing your part to broadcast happiness as well. I really appreciate it. <laughs> well, it's my pleasure. And if, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Yeah, please join me on my website, which is uh, for the book, which is broadcastinghappiness.com. And also there you can take a 30-question free assessment, which tests for the three greatest predictors of long-term levels of success at work. It's a scientifically validated assessment that we use. Um, so I encourage everyone to uh, go to broadcastinghappiness.com and check it out. That's great. Thank you. That sounds like a fun tool. I'm going to try that out. <laughs> so thank you again, Michelle. And uh, to those listening, join us for more podcasts on impact. You can subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast channel on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, so you'll be notified as soon as new podcasts are available. Thank you to everyone listening for being here. And until next time, keep that positive flow of energy going in your business so you can have your own impact.